Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. So today is week six uh, from grumbling to grateful. And that marks kind of in a 13-week class, that kind of marks the halfway point. Our last week is going to be a summary week, so we'll go ahead and count this as the halfway point. So I thought starting out, what we could do is actually go over some of the just review of the last five weeks of class before we get into this week's class. So in week one, does anyone remember what we went over? You can cheat and look at your notes if you kept your notes. Personal holiness. You were close. Personal holiness was our first week. And all we went over there was just what the, the, the kind of high view definition of what personal holiness is. Then in week two, we went over, Deb? <laughs> week two, what did we go over? High view of God. Does anyone remember the attributes and what we did with the high view of God is we went over some of the attributes of God. Does anyone remember what some of those attributes were? We went over three. Or, yep, authority. Anyone else remember? Sovereignty. And his last one was? Goodness. So authority, sovereignty, and goodness. It's kind of terrifying to have a God that is the authority and also is sovereign if we don't understand that he's also good. Because if we have a, a God that can switch it from bad to good however he wants, that's a terrifying thing to think about because he can do whatever he wants. He has a plan that can go any way he wants. And if he's not good, then that's terrifying because he can do whatever he wants. That can be terrifying for us. But if we focus on the fact that he is good and that uh, he is honestly the definition of goodness, then that helps give us a little assurance in who he is and the fact that he has the authority and the sovereignty. Week three, what was that one? A right view of man. And what do we go over with a right view of man? Does anyone remember? Anybody? What is a right view of man? Are we great? <laughs> We're sinners, yes. So a right view of man is that we are sinners and that we needed a holy and righteous God to redeem us from our sins. So that was week three. Week four, the last week that I taught, was the blueprint for Thanksgiving. And we went over in that, that session, we went over two things that is a wrong view of uh, Thanksgiving. Does anyone remember what those two wrong views were? <laughs> no, it was not salad at Thanksgiving. So the first one was a, a contract with God. We don't view Thanksgiving as having a contract with God. And what that basically means is that we're not fulfilling our part in this contract with God so that God will fulfill his part. We do it because God is sovereign, authority, and good, and that we want to praise him. Our whole life is a love for Christ and wanting to give him thanks. The second wrong view was a social contract. If you remember, I went very heavy into a, an illustration of McGruff the Crime Dog and my grandma giving me a McGruff the Crime Dog book and how a wrong view of telling my grandma thank you for this book that was very not age appropriate for me at the time because I was much older than reading a McGruff the Crime Dog book. But um, 
we went over the fact that, that me saying thank you to her was kind of a social contract and that I, that's what is expected of me. And that really what I was doing was thanking my grandma so that those gifts in the future didn't dry up. That's what me as a child was doing. That's not what we do with God. We're not giving God thanks in hopes that the, our good gifts and the grace that he's giving us dries up later on because we haven't fulfilled our side of it. A right view of, of thanks, thanksgiving is thankfulness in all, all circumstances and being thankful to God no matter what trials or um, situations we find ourselves in. Week five was last week. That was a theology of thanksgiving. That was given by, by Caleb. Thank you, Caleb, for covering on that. Anyone want to give me a brief synopsis of what that was? Caleb, you want to give me a brief synopsis of what that was? So the first part of that, why you look, was there's a difference in doing things sporadically in the daily parts of our lives. It becomes your posture. Mm -hmm. The theology of Thanksgiving is a theology of the cross. So that was last week. This week um, is going to be one, as I was talking to Bryce about it just a minute ago, is one that I'm sure none of us, absolutely none of us in this room, struggle with or have problems with. And that is, the title is Thanksgiving, an anchor in the storm. So we're going to go over three different aspects of our lives as Christians, really just as fallen people, that we run into quite often. But nobody in this room, I'm talking about other people outside of this room, so none of us deal with things like anxiety or disappointment and discouragement or feeling distant from God. None of us have ever struggled with that, I'm sure. That is all sarcasm. <laughs> all sarcasm. You can laugh if you want to. It wasn't a good joke, but you can laugh if you want to. Before we get into that, though, I'm going to open in prayer. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are a God that is uh, fully the authority of our lives. You're fully sovereign over our daily existence, even our daily breaths, and that you are a good God in all of that, Lord. We thank you that we can trust and rely on your goodness to, to carry us through this day, Lord. We just pray that this time is a time that is pleasing to you, focused on you, that you would open our eyes to your word, just make the word come alive to us, Lord. Please use me uh, however you would will in this, Lord. In name, we do pray. Amen. So we live in a broken world. I don't think that's shocking to anybody, but we do live in a broken world full of broken people and broken circumstances. Our desire is for a perfect world. We design our governments, we design social programs, we design communities trying to create that perfect world. However, we as Christians are not attempting to create a perfect world in this life here on earth. In fact, we as Christians fully acknowledge and believe that our world is not and cannot be perfect, and that's due to the sin that infects everything we, we see and everything we do on a daily basis since Genesis 3. To put it one way, Alistair Begg puts it this way, Christianity is not how to escape from the difficulties of life. It's about how to face the difficulties of life. Or if you want to put it another way, Charles Spurgeon put it this way, men will never be great in theology until they are great in suffering. 
the Christian life is one that is in a trial or preparing to go through one. However, that does not mean that the Christian life is one spent in constant sorrow, depression, or sadness. The Christian life is ultimately one of joy, peace, and eagerness, in spite of the storms and the trials that we go through. Again, to quote Spurgeon, it's not, it is not to sorrow but to joy that the great king invites his subjects when he glorifies his son Jesus. And again, to quote Beg, the more we become aware of God's grace in our lives, the more we will respond with thankfulness, which produces itself in overflowing joy. So today, as you can kind of tell by that, that very uplifting intro, today we're going to be going over some of the storms and trials in our lives and how do we have joy and how do we give thanksgiving to the Lord through those things. I titled this one, Thanksgiving, an Anchor Through the Storm. There's many different ways you could do it. Beg has another book uh, where he talks about trials and he says how to, uh, how to live your life when the wheels are falling off. Another way that I have it in my notes is from storms to joy. If the Christian life is one that is in trial or preparing to go through a trial, how do we have joy and peace and eagerness in our daily lives? If you remember back a few classes, I think it actually was the first class, that personal holiness class, I mentioned that I was in the army. And one thing about the army is that you are always either in war, like literally in war, or you're just preparing to go to war. An army would not be an army if they didn't understand war. And if they didn't understand war, really it would just be the Boy Scouts. However, an undesired and an unavoidable aspect of always being at war, preparing to be at war, is that you're always fatigued and you're constantly, and it's ever-present, that fatigue. So I can remember back being in the Army and um, one of my first times going, so we call it the field, when you go out and you just basically you camp out and you act like you're at war. You're, you're practicing what you're going to do when you go overseas. There was one time that we went out into the field for a full month. So we're out there for a full 30 days, camping out, acting like we're tracking down and fighting the enemy and all this kind of stuff. And it's such an exhausting thing because you're, you're honestly awake and working more than you get to sleep. And it's just a constant thing for 30 days. And I can remember getting ready to come back and just being wiped, just completely exhausted. And one of my NCOs, one of the, the sergeants that was in charge of me looked at me and said, hey, if you want one piece of advice, I would suggest that you, we call it acquire, you never steal anything in the army, but you acquire a folding chair just for a couple nights. I was like, why would I want a folding chair? He goes, you haven't had a shower in 30 days and you're completely exhausted. The greatest thing you will ever experience is taking a folding chair, putting it in the shower and just sitting in a folding chair in the shower after the field. Like that's how exhausting the army is that you're literally sitting in folding chairs in the shower because you don't have the energy to stand up to take a shower. This could sometimes be how the, the Christian life feels. It's fatiguing to constantly know and see our own sin and also to come alongside brothers and sisters who are suffering through trials and often the trials that seemingly they didn't do anything to deserve from our point of view. 
It's also tiring to come alongside other brothers and sisters that are suffering through the consequences of sin that they have committed in their lives and dealing with those consequences. It's a tiring life. So how do we go from grumbling and sulking in the constant trials of our lives to having joy and thanksgiving despite these trials? What we're going to do now is actually go over three very, very, I already mentioned them once, but very common events in our lives. I don't think there's a single person in this room that will say they have not experienced all three of these trials in their lives. And if you are, we need to examine things. You can come talk to me and I'll point out where these have probably been in your life. He mentions actually five in the book, but due to time's sake, I'm, I'm narrowing it down to three. So the first one of these trials that we experience in our lives is anxiety. The trial of anxiety is one that all of us have experienced at one point in our life, but some of us but for some of us, it is probably a constant weight on our back or a, a constant cloud in our sky. I'm going to take a break for a second. This isn't in my notes, but I just want to say real quick. We as Christians can often, in a wrong way, come alongside those that are suffering from these things, where it's just a constant fatigue in their life. We can come alongside these believers and kind of treat it like it doesn't exist. We come alongside them and we just, well, you're not praying hard enough. You're not reading your, your word enough or you're not living the Christian life. Stop doing that. This is something that exists in their lives. We're called as brothers and sisters to come alongside these people that are suffering from this thing and just be with them. Don't deny these things. These things exist. They're real and they're things that we have to struggle through with our brothers and sisters. So, if I cut this, we're going to go over some of these things pretty quickly. If any of these are ones that are like constantly in your life, don't feel like I'm just glazing over it. We're, we're going a little bit quick because of time. And some of the things that I say in here might sound not, not flippant, but just we'll be going over it so fast that it might seem like I'm downplaying it a little bit. I'm not. I'm not at all. I want to I let you know that if you're suffering in any of these things, I want to come alongside you. I'll try to help you as much as I can. But we only have 45 minutes today. So... So the first one we're going to go over this is anxiety. All of us can think of situations that have triggered some sort of anxiety within our lives. Growing up, it may have been an anxiety over school, a test, making friends, maybe a constant worry about making a sports team or something like that. I can remember growing up, my dad tells me, I don't remember this, I remember my dad telling me, but one time I woke up in the middle of the night, I, you know, I slept walked down to his bed and... He tried to wake me up. He tried to talk to me about it. And he said, all I would do is just keep saying the answer's two. No, it's three. No, it's two. No, like I was so anxious about this math test I had the next day that it crept into my sleep and I was sleepwalking about it. So all of us have experienced some kind of anxiety in that way. As an adult, though, I, I have probably felt more anxiety in my life than ever before, but it's not even because of me. The anxiety that I now feel as an adult is almost always about my children. Every new experience that they go through, every new circumstance that they find themselves into, I almost feel the anxiety for them. All of my children, except for really one of them, are pretty easygoing kids. None of them really even feel the anxiety, but I'm behind them like just cringing because I know what they're going through inside. So the anxiety that I feel now as an adult has to do more with my children. Or maybe it's some kind of circumstance of our changing world. I can remember that there's this one lady that I know who confessed one time that she lives in constant anxiety because of the war in Ukraine. 
not even the war, just because of the war in Ukraine, but because of what the war in Ukraine could eventually come to. So she watches so much news that she hears about all the nukes that Russia has. She sees that Russia is now at war, and, and Putin will say things kind of flippantly about his nuclear arsenal, and that instantly triggers in here an anxiety about just the end of the world, world because of a world war with Russia. Or maybe it's an anxiety about the way our culture and our country seems to be changing. Our anxiety often manifests itself in, a, in a, a deep desire for the good old days of Leave it to Beaver. It seems, it seems like we've lost all control of our country as we used to know it. So what are we supposed to do when instability and uncertainty rocks our world? How do we stand up and fight back against the worries in our life rather than sit back and just give in to our anxiety? A great place to start is in Philippians. I have it in your notes there. But in Philippians 4, 4 through 7, we see rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, and let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's important for us in that verse to recognize that Paul is not saying, take joy in the Lord because he has already fixed your anxiety in this moment. Paul is not saying, take joy in the Lord because he has already granted you the peace in this storm. Paul is saying we should rejoice in the Lord as a means to receive God's peace. Dustin Crow in this book says, while we might be powerless to change our circumstances, one thing we can do is shift from clamoring for control by trusting in the one who is in control. We ultimately find peace not by fixing our problems or figuring out our own solutions, but by trusting in God. Thanksgiving is a way in a means that lifts us up by the chin and points our eyes to the Lord. It makes us focus on the things around us rather than the struggles that are inside of us. Thanksgiving forces us to focus on the fact that God is still good. He is still in control. And that despite how our emotions make us feel, he is still with us. The problem that we run into often with anxiety, it's a problem that I run into constantly, is this kind of bootstrap mentality that the only way that we're going to get through this is if we fix it. If we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, put the real work in, put our nose to the grindstone, and just barrel our way through. The problem with that is whenever we fall into those situations and we look to that answer, that does nothing but look to us. What we need to do when we're in these, these times of anxiety and depression is that we look to God. And I'm not saying that in a way that's like, as soon as you flip that switch and you start giving thanks and you start you know, praying to the Lord and getting in the word that you're just gonna feel great. It's gonna be a struggle. But the thing is, we need to stop looking inward to ourselves. We need to look towards the Lord. 
when we're feeling that anxiety, when we're feeling that pressure of daily life, what often happens is that we lose sight of the Lord. We need to refocus our gaze on the amazing grace of God and how much he loves us. And the fact, because when we're in that anxiety and that pressure, we often feel lonely. We often feel completely alone because we're focused on ourselves. Whenever we start focusing back on God, it reminds us that he's, he's ever-present. He's always there. He always loves us. He's given his son for us. Let's focus on that, not on the, the anxiety, the momentary anxiety that we feel in our lives. The next thing that we're going to go over is disappointment and discouragement or discontentment. Much like anxiety, disappointment, and discontentment are temptations in our lives that we all have experienced. And the sad thing is in, in today's age, these twin sins have multiplied exponentially. Social media and ready access to the internet have caused these feelings to grow more and more. We look at the perfect lives of those around us through the unrealistic pictures that they post and we allow our focus to shift towards disappointment and where our lives actually are. Even with the complete understanding that, we ought, that even what we often see, even from our friends, is not the real truth of their lives. We see these Instagram posts or Facebook posts or I don't think you really post pictures on Twitter. I don't know. I don't have a Twitter account. But we see all these great things that people are doing around us, and we focus on that. And we think, man, their lives are great. How are they on another vacation? Well, probably because they're on another credit card. But how are they on another vacation? How are they doing this? How are they doing that? My life is nowhere near where their life is. And we start allowing that, that discouragement, that disappointment, that discontent just to build up in our lives. There's now a... My wife does... So I don't post really anything. If, if you're friends with me on Facebook, I post Alistair Begg quotes all day long. That's it. So it's just not a surprise. I very rarely post anything personal on Facebook. I posted something about Jeremy last night, and that was it. But my wife is the one that kind of keeps everybody in the loop on our lives on Facebook. One thing I love that my wife does is she'll post those perfect pictures. Like the pictures that she posted in Colorado of us going to... Um, the Georgetown Loop. It's a train in Colorado. And we went on this thing. All the pictures that you posted on there are great pictures. They're beautiful pictures. They're pictures of our kids looking out the window and things like that. What you didn't see was the anxiety and the stress that we felt all the way to the Georgetown Loop because we were literally two minutes from missing the train that we'd already spent $200 to get on. <laughs> That's not what you saw. But another thing that my wife does, which is great and I love because I love just the chaos of our life, is she'll often post pictures of the chaos in our lives. And one of the reasons she does that is because she, she feels this as well, this, this discouragement and this discontent whenever she sees the perfectness of other people's lives. And she doesn't want people to be strayed down that alley because of something that she's posting. So there's now an uh, infamous picture on Facebook that I'm sure we'll repost every year that Charlotte somehow got a hold of Jess's phone and took a selfie. I have no idea how this girl learned to take a selfie, but she took a selfie, and in the background, you can see Reese standing on our kitchen counter with an ice pack crying with it up against her head because she had hurt herself and crawled up on the, the counter to get a, an ice pack. So you just see Charlotte just smiling in the background is just the chaos of our normal life. All that to say that even though we have a complete understanding of what's going on in other people's lives, it's often easy for us to fall into this discontentment when we see those perfect pictures online. 
as life progresses and seasons pass, we might feel this contentment on where we thought we would be compared to where we actually are. So what do we do, or how do we turn from a life and a heart of disappointment and discouragement to one of thanksgiving and joy? If you find yourself constantly listing out, and I'm not saying you actually sit down and list these things out, but if you find yourself constantly listing out the ways your life has not turned out, then it's time for you to start making a different list. How about you start listing the ways that the Lord has actually blessed your life? Thank God for his good and wise plans in your life. Thank God for his timing and releasing his gifts and grace to you. Thank God for every blessing you have in your life. Thank God for your salvation. And thank God with the understanding that you deserve none of it. But he has lavished it upon you in his love. Again, Dustin Crow says, We always have room to grumble, but we have even more reason to be grateful. When in doubt, list it out. I don't think any of us are sitting down and listing out all the ways that we're discontent in our lives. You know, I don't think we're sitting down during our quiet time and writing down all these things that we're disappointed in where our lives are. However, I would highly suggest that we start sitting down and listing out the ways that the Lord has blessed us and constantly remind ourselves of how he's, he's lavished his grace on us. So where do we see an example of this, though? We see this in Ephesians 5, 3 through 4. And Paul writes, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. A heart of thanksgiving chokes out room for sin. By choosing to be thankful, we are focusing on God and his good gifts and wise plan rather than our circumstances and selfish desires. When thanksgiving... When thanksgiving and focus on God is lacking the door for the sins of discontentment and disappointment are opened and the dark sins that, that are waiting on the other side will rush in. Thanksgiving gives thanks in all circumstances. It does so because it's focused on God and his faithfulness and goodness not on our circumstances or our desires for ease and the things we want. Any questions so far? We got one more to go over. Yeah. So the last one that we got here is distance from God. Again, I can say with confidence that all of us have probably felt this in our lives. Of all the trials of our life, feeling distant from God is probably the hardest to endure. When we are on the mountain, when we're on that spiritual mountain, when all things are going well, when we have the greatest quiet times and the most fruitful times of prayer, we feel invincible. We can take on the world, 
we can wake up in the morning ready to combat the evil one with so many prayers and so many scriptures that we have just waiting in reserve. But what happens when we're in the valley? When the presence of God feels distant or non-existent? At that point, even the smallest trial that hits us seems too hard to take. A great example of this, as I was writing this out, this just popped into my mind, is Peter. So we see Peter in the garden as Jesus is being arrested. Jesus is literally standing right next to him. He's probably shoulder to shoulder with Peter. He may even be touching Jesus at this time. When God the Son is there, Peter feels invincible. So much so that he pulls a sword and cuts off the guard's ear. Peter feels so invincible being in the presence of God, shoulder to shoulder with God, that he feels that he can take on by himself an entire group of guards coming to arrest Jesus. But what happens when Jesus is taken away just hours later? What we see is when Peter's not shoulder to shoulder with Christ, when he's not even touching him, when he's not in his presence anymore, Peter falters and denies the man that he tried to protect just hours before. So what do we do when God feels distant? It's a pretty simplistic answer, to be honest with you. We do what we do when we're shoulder to shoulder with him. We don't change. This is why it's important for us as we're on the mountaintop that we are practicing those spiritual disciplines. That's often when, if we're honest with each other, that's often when those spiritual differ, di- disciplines start to falter. When we're on the mountaintop, everything's going great. Life is wonderful. You have no trials. Your kids are acting wonderful. Your, your job is going great. That's when we start to, to struggle a little bit in our quiet time because we feel like we're in our sinful nature. We feel like we're doing it on our own. However, it's important for us to be constantly in the word, constantly in prayer at all times, because when you're on the mountaintop, that's when you're starting the muscle memory for when you hit the valley. If you don't have that practice down on the mountaintop, you are not going to have it in the valley. So we continue to do what we do on the mountaintop. We continue to do what we do when we're shoulder to shoulder with God. We worship and we praise the Lord of our salvation. Through thanksgiving, we, we can know, we can rest in, and we can worship God. Our circumstances do not change. Let me say this again because this is important. Our circumstances do not change the attributes of God. What we're feeling, where our emotions are taking us, one of my favorite quotes is from a book that uh, Jess and the women in our small group went over last summer. It's that our feelings aren't facts. So our emotions, our feelings, the way that, or the distance we feel from God, none of those things change the attributes of God. Even when we feel distant from God, God is still good. He is still wise, and he's still present. When we feel distant from God, or when we feel distant from God's presence, we feel how David often felt. However, what did David do in those times? He still prays the Lord. We see that in Psalm 106, 1. David writes, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. 
praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's a man that had ease in his life, right? That's not the man that we, we see in Psalm 22 that says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No, it's the same guy. Even in his trials, even when you read, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you continue on in that, you see him shift his gaze back to the goodness of God and praising God, even in that very deep and dark moment where he feels so distant from God that he feels like he is forsaken by God. Dustin Crow again says, we praise what we delight in. We praise what we delight in. And thanksgiving slows us down to see and enjoy it all the more. So, when my dad was sick about a year ago, I think it was a year ago, um, so those of you that might not know, I think the majority of you probably know in this room, you were praying alongside me that entire time. However, Dad got COVID. When he got COVID, he was in the hospital. He got sent to the hospital a week after he caught COVID, and he had COVID pneumonia. Had to be life-flighted from his local hospital here to Evansville. Long story short, he ended up four months in, basically four months in ICU. So just four straight months in ICU. And then um, ended up in a rehab hospital. Well, when he went to, the four months that he spent in ICU, even to this day, he doesn't remember any of it. He does not remember, he remembers getting put on the helicopter to be life-lighted down to us. That's his first memory. And the only reason he remembers that is because it was November, and he remembers being wheeled out, and he could hear the helicopter, and he felt the cold wind on his face from November in Indiana. And he said, the only thought that was going through my mind is, I'm going on a ride. And then next thing he remembers is getting taken to the rehab hospital four months later. Um, when he got to the rehab hospital, there was a doctor that would make rounds, and he would come in, he would talk to dad for a little bit, and then he would leave. It was just a quick, probably five, ten minute conversation they would have. This doctor kept doing it every day, and eventually dad realized who this doctor was, and he was a psychologist. And so this guy comes in, talks to dad one morning, leaves. My mom came in right after him, and my dad has a trach in, so he can't talk. So he looks at my mom and goes, do you know who that is? Mouse to him. And mom goes, yeah, it's a, it's a psychologist. And he goes, that man thinks I'm depressed. And my mom looked at him and went, you are depressed. And he was like, no. And he said in his mind, he was thinking, I'm a pastor. I know the attributes of God. I rest and rely on these great things. I can't be depressed. I can't be depressed. And then that same day, ironically, what I would do is on my lunch, I would take lunch. I would go to the rehab hospitals. It was close enough for me to go to. I would sit with dad for my hour lunch while mom went and got lunch. And then I would go back to work. Well, that day I come in, mom leaves her room, and dad looks at me and goes, mom thinks I'm depressed. I looked at him and I was like, dad, you are depressed. And he, she's just blown away by this. So then he leaves, or then I left, mom left for the night. He was sitting in his room by himself, and he said, I, I, I was sitting there, the thought came into my mind, I've got a trach, I can't even breathe on my own. I've got a feeding tube, I can't even eat on my own. I've got a catheter, I can't even go to the bathroom on my own. I have to have two nurses help me stand up every day just to get out of bed, and it hurts to sit up. What do I have to be depressed about? Like, that's what was going through his mind. And he said that night, he kind of came to grips with where he was, just in his mind, and he decided that that's not where he wanted to be. And so something he said, I've heard him tell the story a couple times now, 
But what he decided he was going to do was every night before he went to bed, he was going to pray and he was going to find something in his day to be thankful for. So every day he would pray and he would find something in his day to be thankful for. And quite often, um, there was a door to the bathroom directly in front of his bed. And on that door, we had put pictures of my kids, pictures of my nieces, letters that my nieces and, and Reagan had written to my dad, pictures that all of our kids had, had drawn. So it was just this big mural of things from his grandkids. Quite often, the thing that he was thankful for is his grandkids. And something that amazes me about it is he also would make sure that he would pray for his grandkids every night. So he would do that prayer. He would be thankful and he would pray. So even in the, literally the darkest time of his entire life, still everything, his health, everything, where if he was going to end up in a nursing home or go home, all of that was still up in the air. And my dad was still sitting in his bed praying for my grandkids, praying for his church. He was making sure not to focus on his circumstances and things internally to him, making sure to shift that focus to the outside and to be thankful for the grace and the love of God. That's how we get through that distance from God. Dad felt very distant in that time. I don't think he'd admit it. I'll admit it for him. He felt very distant from God in that time. And his, his choice was to either sulk and be depressed in that time or to focus outwardly and be thankful for the things that he did. He was still with us. He still had the chance to go home. There was still a chance for him to get off the trach. There was still a chance for him to get the feeding tube out. There was a chance for the, the catheter to come out and praise the Lord. All those things happened. But he had those things to look forward to or to be thankful for, and he had an entire door of his grandkids that loved him deeply that he could be thankful for too. When God feels distant, we continue on praising him and giving thanks. It's hard. It is painful, but he is still good. It is us who changes. It is us who sins. It is us who are distant. God never changes. He is holy. He is always there. In our darkest times, we need to always remind ourselves of the truths we have learned and know and thank God for those truths. One of my favorite modern hymns is a song called The Lord is My Salvation. It's a hymn I was introduced to at Basics Conference two years ago. I think it was the first time we heard it. It was a hymn we were introduced to, and if you ever want to just be blown away, be in a room of like 1,400 pastors just singing so loud that you can't even hear yourself. We sang this song, Lord is My Salvation. There's a, there's a part in there that talks about these times that we go through of trials and struggles. And the lyrics are, My hope is hidden in the Lord. He flowers each promise of his word. When winter fades, I know spring will come. The Lord is my salvation. In times of waiting, times of need, when I know loss, when I am weak, I know his grace will renew these days. The Lord is my salvation. I just want to have enough time. I want to tag on one thing to that. One of the coolest things that I heard about. I didn't witness it. David Adams was there with us and he witnessed it. But it, this, this story just kind of revitalizes me every time I think about it. But um, I mentioned him already in this class, but Herschel York was speaking at the conference this year. 
at the end of every conference, the last day, they do a panel of all the speakers and you submit questions and they'll read the questions and answer the questions. It's a pastor's conference so often it has something to do with like just shepherding your flock or something about the church. And uh, York was talking about the fact that his wife uh, caught COVID as well. She had a rough time of it. Um, she still, from what, from the way it sounds, he wasn't overt about this, but from the way it sounds, he's kind of still, she still has that kind of COVID fog and she really struggles with memory and things like that. Um, and the, the devastating thing about that is he said that at his church, she's very active in teaching the women to the point that like, if you go onto their website and if you look at the numbers, her messages in the women's ministry are actually downloaded more than his messages. And so she's a very gifted and talented woman in, in shepherding the women of the church. And since having COVID, she's had to step back away from that. And that's devastating to both of them because he knows the joys that she has in doing that. And she has the joy in doing that. And so York talked about that. And he talked about how, you know, in the winters, they have that kind of seasonal depression as well that hits. So they're very sensitive to that as well. Well, while we're singing this song, um, Beg and York were standing next to each other. They're very close friends. They're standing next to each other. And um, we get to that part when winter fades. I know spring has come. I guess Beg reached over and grabbed York's arm and just kind of shook him a little bit just to encourage him. When we're going through these trials and struggles, I think it's important for us to be very vulnerable and open with our fellow brothers and sisters. One of the more dangerous things you can do is hold that close to your chest. Don't, don't rob your brothers and sisters of that blessing of coming alongside you in your struggles. It's important for us to realize that God has left us here for a reason. One reason is to sh that great commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel. But another reason is for us to be alongside one another. So if you're struggling with these things, come alongside your brothers and sisters for help. We're here. We love you. We want to do this. If you're a brother and sister that is coming alongside them, you may not struggle with this. Anxiety is not a huge part of my life. It's, it's not. However, I know many people that deal with anxiety, and it would be so sinful and wrong of me just to brush it off and walk away from being able to come alongside that person. So if you know someone that's struggling with these things as well, come alongside them, love on them, listen to them. Don't fix the problem, listen to them, be with them, get in that struggle with them. Just like York and Beg, come alongside and encourage each other. Mm -hmm.